Welcome to the St. Matt's 6pm podcast, where you can listen to sermons from our evening service. Good evening, everyone. Tonight's Bible reading is from Mark chapter 10, verses 17 to 31. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honour your mother and father. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said. Go, sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said again, Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, Who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Then Peter spoke up, We have left everything to follow you. Truly I tell you, Jesus replied, No one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age, homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children and fields, along with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. Thank you, Georgia. Uh, Evening, everyone. My name's Ron, and uh, it's great to be with you tonight. Particularly, just want to extend my welcome to any who are new or visiting with us uh, online or in person. It's great to have you here. Now, as has been said, we're talking about money tonight. It's one of those hard things to talk about. And uh, to get us started, I want to get my Chris Donald on and throw it over to you. So what is it that makes talking about money hard, particularly in church? You've got about 30 seconds, and then I'll get some answers from the floor. Go.
love to hear some answers from you uh, about what makes it hard for us to talk about money in church. So, go. Otherwise, I'll pick people randomly. I think that's how Chris Donald does it, so I'll roll with that. Yep. So, depending on our own earnings, we can feel a bit embarrassed about that. That makes it hard to talk about. Thank you, Josh. Someone else? How much you're spending? Yep, can make it hard to talk about money because we might feel guilty about that or unsure about that or conflicted, all sorts of things. Yep. Yeah. The way we've been brought up. Yeah. So uh, part of our society values is that we don't talk about money. Rightly or wrongly, that's how it is. So the way we've been brought up or maybe even the way we've been brought up in churches. One more. Where we spend our money shows our priorities, and so it can be a bit confronting for us. They're all great reasons that uh, make it hard, or great reasons, you know what I mean, reasons that do make it hard to talk about money. I've got a few others I just want to throw in the mix, uh, partly because when we come to the Bible, the language about money is really confronting. There's over 2,000 verses in Scripture that speak about the issue of finances, and many of them are just really in your face, and so it's hard to talk about. Uh, On top of that, uh, sometimes we think about the reputation of the church with money uh, over time, whether we go back to the period of indulgences, if you know what they were, or whether we think more contemporarily about ways that the church and money haven't always gone well together and there's been corruption and things uh, that, that make it hard for us to talk about money. Then there's some added ones for someone like me. So I come to talk to you about money and one of the things that makes it hard is that in a church environment, in case this hadn't clicked for you, I have a lot of self-interest when it comes to talking to you about money. Let's just put it out there. That's how it is, right? The way that a church operates is it's the, the congregations as they give that supports the work of ministry and the ministers. And in my particular role as senior minister, I have a sense of responsibility for other staff as well. I don't want to be the one that's telling them, sorry, you've got no job anymore because we don't have the money. And so there's self-interest at play. Uh, and then one other thing that I think uh, causes us some, some conflict is that uh, sometimes we think that Scripture might tell us not to talk about money. So there's a verse that talks about not letting the left hand know what the right hand's doing. And uh, I think that leads us to make it uh, sometimes hard to talk about money. We're talking about money tonight because we need to talk about money. And we need to talk about money because money changes us. Or perhaps money shortchanges us. Money... (laughs) Just write that down, Sam. Money changes our lifestyle and money changes our life. You might want to write that down as well, Sam, just for you. Money changes our lifestyle and money also changes our lives. But as we'll see today, uh, tonight in this story, money can very easily become an obstacle for our discipleship. And so we must be talking about it. Well, given some of those complexities that we've identified around this issue, let me pray as we come to this topic. Lord, as we consider the issue of money this evening, enable our hearts to come to you with a softness and an openness to your word. Whatever challenges are before us, whatever challenges are in our hearts, as we approach this topic, 
We ask that you will continue to transform us through the power of your Holy Spirit. And we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, in the story that Georgia read to us from Mark chapter 10, we meet a rich man. And this rich man is most likely a genuine God-fearer, someone who believes in God and is coming to Jesus because they're genuinely interested in following him, in learning more about what it would mean to be his disciple. And so they come to Jesus and ask the question, he comes to Jesus and asks the question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He's inquiring about what it will look like to live as a disciple. He earnestly wants to follow Jesus into eternal life. Jesus reminds him of the commandments to which he declares that he's kept them all since childhood. That's a pretty incredible thing to say, and we might hear that as self-righteous bragging. But I don't think that's quite what's going on for this man. I think more it's just an affirmation that this man has sought to live in a posture of obedience towards God. And he's coming to Jesus to check and go, what is it? How is it that I live as a disciple, as a follower of the Lord God? And I think this makes sense because of how Jesus responds to the man. He likes the man. He loves the man. He doesn't hold him in contempt, but looks at him and loves him. And after looking and loving, he replies, one thing you lack, go, sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. Jesus loves him. Jesus urges this rich man to come and follow him. As Peter later says, others have left everything to follow Jesus. And for those of you that were here when we journeyed through the book of Mark in term one, you know of stories of people who left things to follow Jesus. And now it's the rich man's turn to decide what he will do. Does he desire life or does he desire lifestyle? Jesus invites the rich man to swap earthly treasure for heavenly treasure. Jesus urges him to allow others to inherit his wealth so that he might inherit the kingdom. Jesus gives him financial advice and the financial advice that Jesus gives to the rich man is to sell it all and instead be sold out in following Jesus. But why is Jesus' call on this man so great? Why does he have to sell everything? Especially when given that he was a righteous man, someone who was living in that posture of obedience, he most likely already gave. He was probably in the habit of giving regularly. So why does Jesus have such a significant call? He came wanting eternal life. But Jesus knew that money was changing his heart. Was he prepared to forego a financial lifestyle to live with Jesus? 
Imagine for a moment what's going on in this rich man's mind as Jesus says these things to him. It's not just about the money. It's everything that goes with it. It's his status as a rich man in society. It's his influence that that wealth brings. It's his friends. It's his dreams and ambitions. It's his retirement plan. And at the end of the day, this rich man, as he considers all these things in his mind, decides that his money is his. His. Everyone's feeling the tension of this story. The rich man normally was able to negotiate a good outcome, sometimes using his wealth to do that. But Jesus isn't negotiating. Sell it all. Give it to the poor. Come follow me. The man's face falls. He walks away. He's sad. Jesus offered him life, but he chose lifestyle. As Jesus looks around and as the man walks away, Jesus senses the tension. How could you not? But he doesn't relieve the tension. How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God, he says. This isn't just about the rich man. This is about all who are listening. The tension builds. The disciples are amazed and Jesus doubles down. Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. Children, a word of comfort? Maybe. Or perhaps it's an intentional word reminding all who were there of what Jesus had just taught them, that you must be like a child to enter the kingdom of heaven. Even like a child when it comes to money. Jesus doesn't let them off the hook. He goes further. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Now, I brought along a needle today just so you could see it or not see it, which is the point, right? Because if you can't see the needle, how can you possibly see the eye of the needle? In fact, I can hardly see the eye of the needle, but that's more to do with my eyes and age than anything else. How small the needle is, that's why this illustration is used. Because then Jesus also talks about a camel. Now, camels are a bit hard to find, but I found one and have got it brought along here tonight. So uh, we'll just, thanks Nathan, he'll bring the camel in now. It's a very special camel. How good is it? Thank you. Thank you, camel hand, handler Nathan. Uh, special shout out to Heather Dyson, who creates all things wonderful, including camels. <laughs> Eye of a needle, camel. What's the chances? All right? No chance, right? Can't happen. It's not going to happen. 
There's no way that you can get the camel through that. And that is Jesus's point that he's making here. Want to keep an eye on that needle? This is Jesus's point. And I'm going to leave the camel sitting there because Jesus creates this tension. And we, when Jesus creates tension, often we want to resolve it. But I just want us to sit in the tension in what Jesus is saying about money for a moment and think about it a little bit more. Be perhaps confronted by the tension that Jesus is creating. We could relieve the tension by saying, well, actually, we're not really rich. I mean, many of you could say that. And if you compare it with those around us in our culture, perhaps you have some ground to stand on. I'm a student. I've got no money. I'm not rich compared with the people that I work with. I'm not rich. But what if we think about richness and wealth on a global scale? Most of us are not just rich. Most of us are very rich. The QR code that's up there on the screen will take you to a website called How Rich Am I? And I'd really encourage you to grab it and have a look and put your own data in there. You'll be surprised at how rich you are. When I put our data in there, Julie and I, top 1% of the world. I don't think anyone here will be under the top 10% of the world. I'd be very surprised. Check it out. We're not connected to that data. We won't know anything about you. It's all good. We're not trying to secretly get information out of you. It's just a website. Go check it out. We could relieve the tension, not just by saying that we're not rich, but we could relieve it by saying, well, this isn't a command for everyone. And you're right. It's not a command for everyone. But let's not be so quick to go there. We miss the point if we don't stop and sit in the tension of how attached we are to money. Perhaps Yoda said it the best. Attachment, he said, leads to jealousy. The shadow of greed, that is. Is money yours or is money God's? How attached you are to money is really significant. Deuteronomy chapter 8 reminds us when we're tempted to gloat in our financial self-sufficiency that we need to recall that it is the Lord God who gives us the very ability to create and produce wealth. It's his money. If we believe that money is ours, then our heart is bound to that money. And if our heart is bound to money, greed is on the doorstep. Its shadow is cast over you. Money is close to becoming your idol because it's captured your heart. And if that happens, discipleship suffers. How can it not? like anything we make as an idol. Are we buying lifestyle or are we investing in life? We could relieve the tension by saying, well, money's not a problem for me. I give, I'm generous. 
Jesus constantly teaches on finances. And his constant teaching should at the very least say to us, this is an issue that Jesus sees as relevant to the heart of humans. Let's not think we've got it all together. On top of that, this man who we meet, as I said, was probably generous himself. He probably gave regularly. Generosity is good. And I am so thankful, literally, for my very life, for the generosity of God's people who provide for those who serve in ministry and provide for all sorts of ministry, provide for people who serve around the world in mission. I'm so thankful for the generosity of God's people and I'm thankful for the generosity of this church of St. Matt's. On the screen you can see the National Church Life Survey. We completed it just a while ago and they've given us some initial uh, feedback, an initial report. And one of the things in that report is this particular graph about financial giving. And I want to just speak to this graph and what I see in it. And first of all, I want to address the 19% at the left-hand edge of this graph who don't give or who give a small amount occasionally. Some of you are not followers of Jesus. And I am so glad that you are in the building. And I want you to hear this tonight, if you're not a follower of Jesus. Jesus' desire for the rich man was not that he would have his money, but that he would have his life. And that's our desire for you as well. Not that we would have your life, but that you would know the life that Jesus wants to give you. But if you do, or when you do, choose to follow Jesus, know that he wants to give you life, not prop up your lifestyle. Others of you are in situations where you might like to give, but you can't. And I get that too. Maybe you're just genuinely scraping to manage the cost of living in a place like this, just to pay the essentials. Maybe you're in a situation where you can't make the financial decisions that your heart would like to be able to make because of other factors. For you, I say, keep letting Jesus change your heart and grow your heart, even if right now you can't give what you'd like to give. But perhaps some in that category are people who are committed to Jesus, people who are mature in their faith. And if that's you, what Jesus says to the rich man applies to you. Take the first step. Allow him to be the master of your money. Another 81% of us uh, in this survey are on the journey of generosity. You give regularly. Thank you so much for what you give. But as I said, so did this rich man. He was probably at the right-hand edge of that graph. Yet Jesus challenged his heart to be all in. He challenged him to uncomfortable generosity, an uncomfortable generosity that would depend all on Jesus and not on his self-sufficiency or his wealth. He challenged the rich man to forgo a lifestyle and gain a life. Biblical giving is uncomfortable. Comfort comes from lifestyle. Discomfort comes from discipleship. 
And not just in the financial area, though, though it is there, but watch Jesus say later, even persecutions will come to you, many of them. How are you intentionally letting Jesus grow uncomfortable generosity in you? About 25 years ago, Julie and I began our journey of uncomfortable generosity. We began seeing money as part of our discipleship, as part of what it means to live with Jesus, not as something separate to it. And when we started to give, I've got to say, I could not imagine that at this stage in our life we would give the percentage of income that we do. And I say that to you because God changes hearts. That's what God wants to do. God took my stingy heart, and while it's still pretty stingy, he's made it more generous. And all the time, at every single point, he's provided my needs. Every time we increase our giving, God provides our needs. This is who we serve. Someone who wants to change our hearts and grow us as his disciples. Generosity, though, doesn't excuse us from growing in generosity. We can't sit back and say, oh, I'm generous. Rather, we move forward to Jesus and plead with him to continue to transform our hearts that we might be more and more in line with him, that we might want life more and lifestyle less. Now, I want to speak to you tonight as well about a specific tension that we, St. Matt's, have at the moment, a financial tension. At the moment, as you may have picked up, heard from wardens on a couple of occasions we are running at 14% under our budget. And what that means in uh, terms that I think you'll understand is that the two full-time staff positions that are currently vacant, we don't have the money com currently coming in to pay for them. And that creates a tension for us. But what this graph shows me is that we have the capacity in our church not just to meet our staffing needs, but to go way beyond that and to support all sorts of ministries that we haven't even begun thinking of, both here and beyond here. We have the capacity for so much. And so we need to talk about money, but more, we need to talk about our financial discipleship. We need to talk about our financial discipleship more than we talk about our budget. The tithe, what we loosely say is 10%, but actually what was much more than 10% in the Old Testament, it is an Old Testament thing. However, when the first Christians began developing the language of generosity, which is the New Testament language for giving, they used the tithe as the base of generous giving. Just think about that for a moment. Most of the first Christians were Jews. They were deeply embedded in tithing. When they started talking about generous generosity, they weren't starting from zero. They were starting from the base of tithing as they're giving. 
My brothers and sisters, if we used 10% as the basis of our giving, we wouldn't be talking about shortfalls. We'd be talking about the overflow of financial resources that could be a blessing to the world around us. Paul expounds Christian generosity in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 and we're going to do a series on 2 Corinthians starting just a few weeks. And later in the year we'll spend four weeks in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 and there we'll be able to nuance some of these ideas and dig a bit deeper into them. But I urge you, don't wait till then. Talk about financial discipleship tonight. Talk about it in your small groups. Talk about it with a pastor. Talk about it with a friend. Money changes us. Are we buying lifestyle or are we investing in life? Well, the tension here we can now relieve a little bit because the disciples ask, well, if this is true, who can be saved? How can any of this happen? Who can have life? And Jesus responds, with man this is impossible, but not with God. With God, all things are possible. See, this isn't just about our money. It's about our trust in Jesus. And Jesus makes the impossible possible when he hangs on a cross. There, something more remarkable than a camel passing through the eye of a needle occurs. For there on the cross, The sin of guilty humanity is transferred to the innocent son of God. All things are possible with him. And there on the cross, Jesus, who who was rich, became poor for us so that we in our poverty might become rich. On the cross, Jesus shows us that he will provide for all of our needs that we can surrender to him because he surrendered all for us. Money's allure shortchanges us. It gives us lifestyle, but Jesus transforms us. He gives us life. The disciples say, we've left everything to follow you, Jesus. And Jesus reassures them that they will be well looked after both now and eternally. And look, there's there's questions that come out of that particular verse that I can't go into right now, but let me leave you with this thought. Just a few months after this conversation that they have where Jesus says, you will have a hundred more times family and, and houses and fields. Just a few months after, in the book of Acts, after Jesus' death, resurrection, after Pentecost, The Christians, the growing band of Christians start gathering together. And you know what they do? It's described in Acts chapter 2. They sell their possessions and they give to anyone who had need. Jesus' words come true in the early church. They inherit more family. They inherit everything that they need to live as disciples they didn't settle for lifestyle they chose a transformed life finally jesus says in the context of leaving things behind and especially money jesus says but many who are first will be last and the last first 
Where is money in your life? Is it first or is it last? Are you buying personal lifestyle or are you investing in a kingdom life? Let me pray. Lord Jesus, thank you that you in your richness became poor for us so that we in our poverty might become rich. Father, transform us. Give us life. Change our hearts that our generosity might reflect your incredible generosity. We ask for your sake. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon. St. Matt's West Penn Hills 6pm Congregation is a collection of people who want to be changed by Jesus, to have a deeper connection with God, deeper community with one another, and deeper concern for our world. We'd love you to join us on a Sunday soon. For all the details, check out our website at stmatts.org.au and be sure to subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss a sermon.